Hi, welcome to Youth Diversions podcast on opioid and prescription drug use. I am Joanna Conrad and with me today is Mike Brown. Mike Brown is with the Spiritual Soldiers, a social coffee house operated by people in recovery located at 1015 Erie Street East in Windsor. Spiritual Soldiers main purpose is connecting people in an atmosphere without pressures of drugs or alcohol. We invited Mike to speak to you today because he once was a youth who faced drug and alcohol addiction. Youth Diversion feels this is an important subject to cover as we are seeing it more regularly with the youth we work with. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing well, Joanne. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks so much for being here. And I want us to start today by looking at what your journey is in terms of experience with drugs and substances and alcohol use. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, I'm Mike, um, founder of Spiritual Soldiers. And um, yeah, I spent a long time in an addiction. I spent uh, 20 years, more or less, yeah, just as I call it, I my drug of choice was uh, cocaine and alcohol. And as I always say, I had a sick love affair with, with cocaine and drugs. But looking back, um, you know, even as a child, from what I can think back of from the times I was 13, 14 years old, I just I just couldn't handle the social pressures of, of high school and, and whatnot. I had high anxiety. I know them as fears today. I did a lot of comparing. I had no self-esteem whatsoever. Um, and the blunt truth is, is just Mike hated Mike. Um, I excelled in sports. I had a lot of friends, but I also called those social masks. I could put up a good front. Um, so I portrayed to the world that everything was okay, but on the inside, I was, I was dying. And, you know, through the course of that, my parents had noticed it and sent me to, you know, psychologists, guidance counselors, and so forth and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I was about 14 years old, and I guess I did what most kids did back then. I filled up, uh, you know, a water bottle full of my parents' booze, and I, I went out, and that's when I experienced, as I call my first drunk Um, And through that experience, it's crazy. I'm almost 40 years old and I can remember it like it was yesterday because all my problems went away. It's like I had found my solution. Uh, And then by the age of 17 years old, I don't want to say that it was peer pressure by any means, but I wanted to fit in. Um, And my drug of choice, like I said, was cocaine and, and cocaine came into play. And that's when I first tried cocaine. And that was a huge game changer. The way that it made me feel was honestly, it was incredible. You know, I could face people, I could talk to people, all the insecurities went away. I kind of became the life of the party. And then things took uh, a turn for the worse. By the age I was 21 years old, I was in my first recovery home. Um, unfortunately, you know, I didn't go in there with the right attitude. I was 21 years old. I kind of had this self-entitlement of, well, I'm going to continue to drink. No one's going to tell me that I can't drink. But, uh, yeah, in, in a nutshell, it, it led me to some horrible places. You know, my drug of choice changed from cocaine to crack cocaine. Uh, I lived in Vancouver. I did very well in the retail management industry, fashion. Um, and within not long, I ended up on... East Hastings, you know, which is predominantly well-known area in in Canada, and a lot of people don't make it out alive. Um, I was what was called a binger, so I would go in for three days, spend all the money that I had, leave, go back in when I could make some money again. 
Um, yeah, and then my final straw, I guess, was was in Toronto. Once again, I was doing really well in the fashion and the retail industry, and I was kind of working on my own name and connecting and meeting a lot of people. Um, but the drugs came in back into play. And at that point, the drugs stopped doing what they're supposed to be doing, if that makes sense to you. Um, it, it just, I was just sleepwalking while totally awake. I was just dead, uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Um, and the truth of it is, is I had an attitude where I didn't care if I lived or died. Uh, and I had an overdose of cocaine. And uh, at the time, I, I was in the restaurant industry because I went back to that. But um, I was making great money, but I lived in an attic and I slept on a blow-up mattress. But to the outside world, it was like, oh, Mike's doing great, mm-hmm. right? Just because of my outside presence, I made myself look like I was doing okay. Um, and, and that was it. I, I called a friend that I'd reached out to before, and uh, I simply said, what do I do? And he said, you got two options, kid. You can stay in Toronto and die, or you can get the help that you need. And I believe that was a huge difference for me because I always knew that I needed help, but I don't necessarily knew know if I wanted the help. And uh, I wanted the help this time. So at the young age of 35 <laughs> years old, I packed my belongings, and it was sad to say, but they fit in a hockey bag. And that's what brought me to the journey of uh, Windsor, Ontario. So if I can just rewind for a little bit back to when you were, let's say, 12, 13, 14, you made a comment that you felt that you were um, broken, basically, and, and that, you know, that you were dealing with things that perhaps you really didn't know what you were dealing with. Do you know at this point in your life what those things were? Because I'm sure for a parent who's listening that they would be more curious to find out like if, if their child is exhibiting different symptoms perhaps of you know being able to not control whether it's their anxiety or different stresses or whatever, you know, what what can they do to support their kids? And and what was it that was in your life that was so challenging for you if you're able to speak to that at this point in time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in, in recovery, uh, you, you go backwards in life and you look at all that stuff, right? And I mean, I think as an addict, most of it is caused by a trauma of, of some sort. Um, my biological father left when I was two years old, I believe. Um, I don't think that's what makes me an addict. I truly believe that this is a disease. When I start, I can't stop. That's what differentiates me from people that can go and enjoy a glass of Pinot Grigio with, with dinner, right? Um, but yeah, thinking back to, to my youth, I just I always felt less than. I always felt like a square peg in a round hole. Um, as I got older, when I was able to make a little bit of money working, I thought that you know wearing Tommy Hilfiger and driving a nice car made me who I was. Everything was self-seeking. Everything was searching on the outside, right? But for me, the internal dialogue, I just... I just couldn't deal with it, right? The anxiety was was so high. The fears were were so prominent in my life. Uh, the feeling of uselessness. I guess I lacked what maybe some kids did, is I didn't have any meaning and purpose. I didn't have any vision. I had no idea what I wanted to be. And at the time, I was either embarrassed to talk about it or I just didn't find somebody that understood me, right? And I think that's very important for the youth today is that's why we try to do as much work as we can with youth is it's okay to be vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. okay to admit these things. It's not weak. It's actually the strongest thing that you can do, right? So if we're going to look at other youth who are perhaps in the same shoes that you were in back then and they're missing something in life, is there anything that a parent can do 
to help avoid their child from going down that path? I mean, I think there's obviously signs that you can look for. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody, but let's look at the movie or the music industry. You know, a lot of these popular artists right now, they're rapping about, you know, lean, which is, you know, cough syrup. They're rapping about mm-hmm. Xanax, you know, popping bars and, and whatnot. It's, it's influenced to the youth. Mm-hmm. The honesty is, is again, I'm not being rude to parents. I think parents just don't want to believe that in mm-hmm. the beginning right so I think open and honest dialogues with with children uh, especially starting at the age before high school is just saying you know it's it's okay you can talk to me I'm here to listen to you right and I think that that's a great point and and it's something that we definitely come across with youth diversion too and dealing with parents is that oftentimes parents think well not my little Johnny or not my little Susie and you know it's not that we're ever saying that you know your little Susie or Johnny is going to get involved in this kind of behavior but let's not be oblivious to the fact that this is a potential something that might occur and if it's not going to happen to your own child perhaps it might happen to one of their friends Uh, but regardless these are conversations that we need to have. And I know my husband and I, for example, go back and forth about what's appropriate for us to discuss even with our children, right? And our children are far younger at this point. But I always say I'd rather have that conversation about whether it's drugs or vaping or social media, the internet, like all that kind of stuff. Like my my eldest is six, but I still rather have age-appropriate conversations with him as early as possible so that he gets this information from us and he knows that he can come and talk to us as opposed to learning about it on the schoolyard or in another way, um, you know, where potentially he's going to get misguided information. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, my parents were, especially my dad, my, my stepdad, the man that, that raised me, he was, he was very open with me. Unfortunately, as we call it, as it was, you know, talks with him after the fact, mm-hmm. right? Of like, what? why wouldn't you come and talk to me? Let's be honest, what 16-year-old kid wants to go to their parents and talk about sex well, or drugs right. or whatever, right? But why Why is that? Again, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I'm very, I have three little nephews and I'm open and honest with them. I mean, they're old enough to read the internet and Facebook, they, I'm sure they know what their uncle's been through. Uh, and I'm not ashamed by it, right? Well, and I think that that's the difference too, right? Is when you and I were growing up, we didn't have the same exposure to some of the things that the kids have exposure to now. And even when we talk about music lyrics and the media and all the things that kids are exposed to, it's far more graphic. It's far more, I mean, not only sexualized, but it's also very much, um, you know, obsessed with drugs and just, you know, that culture, right? And so, of course, they're exposed to it at a much younger age but also at a far greater rate and so they normalize it they become desensitized to it maybe it's something that they aspire to um but also i think they think that it's quote-unquote cool right and so it's just kind of part of everyday living and it's almost something like well why not go experience this or why not go and try this um you know this drink or that drink or whatever right uh in an effort to be like what they see on the media, right? Where we didn't have that. And so maybe those conversations weren't necessary with our parents or our parents didn't think so. But now our kids are seeing this sort of a thing and they need somebody to talk them through it. And these aren't necessarily conversations that teachers are able to have, right? With the students. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I've made a decision in my life to kind of use a little bit of a platform. I always say that the wreckage from my past is now my greatest asset. Look, this, I hope it doesn't sound egotistical, but when I was in high school, if a police officer or a counselor came in and showed some brochures and, and, you know, don't do drugs, it didn't stick with me. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie. We're, we're kids. You know what I mean? We're jerks sometimes and we just make fun of it after on the playground, right? And I like to think is we've done a lot of high schools. We've done a lot of talks at different places. Is it going to be a little more appealing with a guy like myself that walks in there, that's covered in tattoos, that's walked this life? It's going to catch their attention, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've been where they've been. We've all been kids, right? And the social pressures of today, I think social media is an amazing platform. I honestly do, if it's utilized for the right reasons. But I also know from my standpoint is like, you know, I was Instagram famous, I thought, in Toronto. I validated myself on likes and comments from people that I had no idea who you were. Mm-hmm. Like, that's self-worth problems right there. Like, literally, my day is predicted by if I get 300 likes or 100 likes. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and again, I'm not going to talk to anybody about that. I didn't want to at the time. I'm just like, people are going to think I'm crazy, right? Right. Um, but yeah, again, that proactive approach with the youth is letting people know, because the thing is now is for me, you know, I thank God every day that I didn't get into what's huge now, which is prescription drugs, which Mm -hmm. is opiates. Mm -hmm. I have no experience with it. Um, but the people that we see and the ages that we see that are in detox, it's frightening and it's sad of how young, people are being you know 16 years old and they've been hooked on oxys now for three years like you're a baby crazy you're a child so the thing of it is is i mean i'm not undermining mine but back in the day it for me it was just socially norm the circle that i ran in to have some drinks and do some coke right just like probably back in the day when my parents were growing up it was you smoked a joint now what happens though is let's say a kid is under pressure He's bottling all this stuff up. He doesn't know who to talk to, nor does he want to talk to anybody because, again, he's just in fear. I don't want, who wants to talk about their feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Especially at 16, 17 years old. And all of a sudden, you know what I mean? He's struggling, and one of his friends says, Oh, you've, you're feeling this way? Just take this. You'll feel better. So now, what you've created, eventually, if you continue to take these opiates, is what's called a physical dependency. So if you stop taking them, your body gets sick. And you need to detox from those, right? That's the term on the street where they say dope sick. So they need to continue to take these drugs. And before you know it, it's like, wow, you know, my kid is stealing my jewelry to get these drugs. And, you know, six months ago, he was applying to colleges. And that's how fast it can go. So communication is the key with everything. I I believe. And I don't think that the scare tactic is the way to go anymore. Mm -hmm. We need to show love and compassion and we need to kind of, you know, what is it like? I don't know. What's it like to be a 16 or 17 year old in today's age? Right. Kind of see it through their eyes, right? Because we learn from them as well, too. Absolutely. And it's and it's a different generation, too, with, with their own struggles that they're dealing with. And, and it's a conversation that definitely needs to be had, right? So why don't we start kind of going back or fast forwarding now to you being 35 and you're in Toronto and you decide and you have the conversation with your friend and you decide that you are now ready to get help. Yeah. So 
35 years old. I got to London. I stayed with a friend. I went through a 90-day program here. Um, and it was intense. It was very, very intense. I'll never forget the summer of 2015 because I spent it in a recovery home. But at the same time, what I thought was my weakest moment was actually my strongest moment. And that's where I came up with the concept of spiritual soldiers. It started as a clothing with a cause. You know, let's spread awareness about addiction. Let's create a dialogue. Let's get people talking about this stuff. Why would you say that perhaps young people now are more addicted to prescription drugs than other types of drugs? Why has the drugs changed? Honestly, I I don't know. Do you think it could also be that kids think prescription drugs are just quote unquote safer than street drugs? And so maybe they're thinking, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this because, you know, it's prescribed to somebody. So it can't be that bad. Again, I don't know. It's just my opinion. But I think if a kid is, you know, popping a prescription drug, they don't even look at themselves as an addict. It's Mm -hmm. just these were prescribed to me or you know, in some cases, I got these out of mom and dad's medicine cabinet. You know, I'm not going down to the corner to an alleyway and scoring drugs or anything like that. So it's, they're minimizing how mm-hmm. dangerous it, it, it really is. I, I believe that. I truly, truly do. What are things that parents should really, really walk away with today knowing, okay, I'm going to go home and do this differently today? I truly, truly believe that it just comes down to one thing, and that's communication. Right. And, and that's parents not being blind to the fact that, guess what, this could be your kid. Right. And that's it. And if you see signs like that, simply sit Johnny or Susie down and just say, like, we're here. And for parents who have issues in discussing these sorts of things or perhaps don't even know maybe what's really going on, uh, there are opportunities for them to reach out to the community to get support, right? And one of the things that Youth Diversion does is accept referrals for kids who are exhibiting at-risk behaviors. So parents who have a little Johnny or a little Susie who's maybe starting to tamper with some drugs or alcohol or maybe they're just acting a little bit differently and maybe we're seeing some at-risk behaviors there that uh, weren't there before. We accept referrals from parents, schools, and guidance counselors, police as well. Uh, And ultimately, they can refer their young person to us. We can do a risk assessment, really determine, you know, and look at what's going on, provide pointers to the parents, but also refer that young person, whether it's to one of our programs that deals with substance abuse or to one that's perhaps more intensive in the community to at least address any, you know, behaviors that might be just kind of starting out to potentially prevent that from growing into a much bigger problem where it takes many, many years to resolve. So I want to end today by thanking you, Mike, for coming out. Appreciate you sharing your story with us. I'm sure that parents are going to walk away with a lot more information than they came into today. And uh, I really want us to walk away with the fact that dialogue and open communication is key for us in terms of having these conversations with our kids, not keeping it the deep, dark secret that you know no one's ever going to be exposed to that we don't wanna talk about because it won't happen if we don't discuss it because we know that it can happen, right? And so let's talk about it. And if you're not comfortable talking about it, let's reach out to community supports like Spiritual Soldiers or Youth Diversion or other great supports out there who can help you walk through that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much.